The Toby Gribbon Show. Highlights. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Simon Napier-Bell is a rock manager, record producer and songwriter. Simon's impressive career spans over several decades, having managed iconic artists such as the Yardbirds, T-Rex, Wham and George Michael, just to name a few. And not only is he a rock manager, but he's also an accomplished author, filmmaker, public speaker and consultant. And now, with his latest venture, the Amsterdam Rock Exchange, Simon continues to be at the forefront front of contemporary popular music and Simon joins us now good afternoon or good evening to you how are you well that's a very grand entrance <laughs> <laughs> not casual at all I mean throwing it all at me yeah, uh, yeah. See, I'm in. I'm in Thailand, and it's now seven o'clock. So um, once I've finished with you, it's off to dinner. Yes, and you have quite a packed end day. People might think that you're just living up in Thailand on holiday, but you've got quite a full day of still working, haven't you? Well, I'm, I'm always writing books, and I'm writing a new. I'm writing two film treatments, and I'm writing a new book. So I'm usually up at six at the computer till about one o'clock or two o'clock. And then, absolute rule, I go to lunch every day for three hours, a long, wow. long lunch. <laughs> and then come back, and it's then four o'clock, and everybody's getting to the office in England. And I usually work till midnight, which is uh, only five o'clock in the evening in England. So I do two eight-hour days, but I still have a three-hour lunch. So the, the pictures which go on, on Facebook, they don't go, actually, I don't put them on my Facebook, but my partner, my boyfriend, puts them on his Facebook, and everybody says, oh, it's a non-stop holiday. And I like <laughs> that. I like that image. Does it get quite tiring, though? You've got a long break, but you're technically working from waking up till going to bed. No, the most tiring thing is being bored. So if I work, <laughs> I'm not bored. If I'm not bored, I'm not tired. Now, your latest project is, of course, the Amsterdam Rock Exchange, and you've got the album Rock Perfect. What was the process of creating that album? COVID. <laughs> <laughs> we, I got locked down like everyone else in the world. Yeah. Um, nothing to do. What the hell am I going to do for, well, we all thought it was a couple of months, didn't we? And then more months yeah. and more months. And just at that time, I have a very good friend in Amsterdam. And just at that time, he emailed me and said, I'm writing some songs with a friend. Would you like to help us and make the lyrics better? Because they both being Dutch, they didn't have a, you know, a great um, facility with English lyrics. Um, so I said, that'd be lovely. It gives you something to do. What fun. Send me the demos. And I expected them just to be rubbish, really. But yeah. to pass the time. And he's a very good friend. He's a nice man. So he sent me these demos. And they were amazing. I said, well, what are these demos? He said, oh, it's just some songs we've been writing. And 
some friends of ours helped us play on them. So I said, who are the friends? So they said, oh, there's Rhino and Richie Malone from um, Status Quo, you know, and um, Paul Hirsch, who used to be in Status Quo, was Chris Ray's keyboard player. And, and on he went. <laughs> and this is a rock, a rock supergroup. Uh, all people who had nothing to do during COVID and were happy to work online to make these albums or these tracks. And so we made a whole album and then got an English producer to, to you know, take all these tracks we had and turn them into an album. And it's turned out fantastic. Yeah. And, um, and, and COVID went on. So we had to think, what do we do now? <laughs> So we took um, two, it was very classic rock. It was a fabulous album, but it's, it's very much classic rock. So we took a couple of the tracks, which are the best songs, and changed them, remade them as dance tracks with a young singer, yeah. a girl called Tori McHugh. Um, and we both both those tracks got in the um, Music Week top 20 pop dance tracks. Um, so it's been an amazing project. And now COVID's over, and you know, I'm able to go back to making films and publishing books and things, but I'm stuck with it. And yeah. I've stuck with it. I'm not stuck. I'm stuck with it that sounds bad i'm stuck with it <laughs> yes. it's fabulous it's fabulous and fun and they're great writers and we're making another album now wow and how do you think your previous experience being a rock manager and producer has prepared you for working with the amsterdam rock exchange you know it's very interesting all my life i've gone from one side of the industry to the other it's gone from the creative side to the to the administration side so i mean i wrote way back in the 60s i managed the arbors but i also produced them and i wrote you don't have to say you love me i co-wrote you don't say you love me and then i went off to spain where i co-wrote songs with the top spanish artists and then he said oh, you must manage me too so suddenly i was going from the creative back to the management and they're very different you become a different person you know yeah. when you're um when you're i mean and now I, I make films and i both produce films and direct films and when you direct a film you, you wake up in the middle of the night it's all oh, that edit on the uh, 16 minutes it's got to be two frames shorter it's got oh, it's, must be short. it's going to ruin the whole film and and you wake up in the morning you call the editor and say can you take two frames off it's oh i'm sorry we sent the film off for, for showing now and you go oh, mad no. oh wait the, the film's ruined nobody's gonna look at it. <laughs> but if you're a producer of the film you call the director you say oh, for god's sake nobody's gonna notice it won't make any difference at all which is absolutely true but you have to be able to do both things but you can't do both if you've directed the film you can't be that producer calming you down and i've had this with 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 artists i i remember one time i was managing a group been nameless a well-known group and in the middle of the night four in the morning the uh, the singer or the, he was the main guy he could call me up and said um, I've been thinking about that mix we need a tambourine on the fade out and I said well it's done it's gone it's cut it's going out it's pressed <laughs> and he went mad he went berserk he screamed and he came around in his car an hour later and banged on my front door and said I was no longer his manager and everything was was screwed up and he'd be terrible and, um, and tambourine I said if anybody's still listening when you get to the fade out you've got to hit record and if they're not listening they won't know if there's a tambourine or not <laughs> True. <laughs> and um, so you have to take these two. But I understand him. I understand why he felt like that. Yeah. Now, you mentioned that you co-wrote You Don't Have to Say You Love Me, and that actually started out as an Italian song, right? Well, it's still an Italian song. You can <laughs> yeah. sing it in Italian, isn't it? Um, it was originally an Italian song. Pino Tadaccio, who is a fantastic singer, as well as a co-writer. He wrote the melody and, and uh, another guy wrote the lyrics. And um, he did a fantastic version of it, and it, it was wonderful. If you look on YouTube and you see it, he's, he's a great singer, has beautiful eyes, and you know, the classics of Italian lover man. Um, and Dusty Springfield that year went to the San Remo Festival in Italy, uh, where she was competing, and she sang in Italian too. Um, and she didn't win, but she came back with a, a copy of this record. He said, I want to do this in English. And she asked her best friend, and her best friend is also my best friend, 
although I wasn't best friends with Dusty, we had this intermediary best friend. Um, <laughs> and, and that's how I met Dusty through her. And this other, my best friend, the Dusty friend, was a woman called Vicky Wickham, who was a producer at Ready, Steady, Go, which was the top television show at the time. And, um, and Dusty said to her, where do we get English lyrics? Where do I get an English lyrics for this? And Vicky asked me. And I said, well, let's write them. And she said, we can't do that. I said, well, why not? She said, well, we've never written lyrics before. <laughs> I said, well, don't worry about that. You know, let's, let's do some. And off we went to a um, room one night after dinner and before heading off to the our nightly sort of soirees at nightclubs and discos um, and sat down with this record and created this lyric quite quickly because um, we didn't want to be late for our night's clubbing. <laughs> and um, and sent it off to Dusty, who turned out quite casually made lyric into something absolutely magic, just fantastic. And it was a hit for Dusty Springfield and then went on to be a hit for somebody called Elvis Presley how did that come about? And did you have contact with him about it? Not before he recorded it, no. Um, well, it's number one with Dusty. And yeah. then two, three, four years later. And it was a hugely known song. You know, it, it was one, it, like so many number ones, which are ballads or love songs, they don't disappear. So they go on getting played all the time. So it's always around. And then one day, four years later, I was producing some rock albums for RCA Records in America. And I took the latest one in I'd produced and uh, saw them about it. And as I was coming out of the office, I just saw this single on the edge of someone's desk. And it said, you don't have to say love me. Oh, I picked it up. Elvis Presley. <laughs> I said, oh, what's this? They said, oh, it came out yesterday. Didn't you know? And I said, no one told me. <laughs> um, and then sure enough, another number one. No, it didn't. It got to number three, I think, by Elvis. And um, a lot of people didn't like it. A lot of people said, yeah. oh, he ruined, he ruined the song. But I loved it because whereas Dusty had turned it into a heartfelt song, Probably singing to someone, you know, who, who she was passionately in love with, but they didn't really love her. And she just said, well, don't worry. If you don't say it, just please don't go. Yeah. And it, it tore at your heartstrings. Elvis was like the, the really macho, you know, the truck driver. And his girlfriend's always talking about love. He's oh, don't talk about <laughs> romantic stuff. I love you. It's enough. I don't have to keep saying it to her. You know, yeah. he even pushed the, pushed the tempo really fast. And it was just like somebody saying, look, look just, just leave that alone. Just, it'll all be all right. You know, I love you. Isn't that enough, please? Um, and I love that. I thought it was absolutely brilliant. You've managed some of the biggest names in the industry, like T-Rex and George Michael. How did you approach working with these artists and bringing out the best in their music? Wow. Uh, they have to bring out the best in their own music. All you can <laughs> do as a manager is you you give them, uh, you organise them. I mean, you make life easy for them. That's really what it is. I mean, most artists are, <clears throat> artists are pretty self-obsessed. You know, they're, they're really concerned <laughs> with themselves. They, they're not great organisers of their lives. They, they're often very good organisers of their music. They know how to create it and structure it and put it together, make it work. They don't usually organise their lives very well. And and the other thing is they don't usually fit in with a, uh, a regular normal way of living or normal society very well. So you become a bridge between ordinary life and artist's dream life. And so you sit there in the middle. And you're also a bridge between the artist's artistic nature, wanting to make these wonderful fantasies, if you like, and the commercial nature of the business. You know, you deal with the record company. We're only interested in money. You know, don't ever believe a record company and say, oh, it's the music we love. You know, it's not. They just want money. And, and you have to. You have to. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. To understand that, you have to sympathize with the record company. That's what it is. It's a capitalist corporation. And you have to feel as much sympathy for them and the people who work there trying to achieve that as the artists. And you sit in the middle and you bring them together and find a way of allowing them to work together comfortably. And that's really what the manager's job is. Did you ever get starstruck when working with famous artists? No, not even with famous interviewers. <laughs> <laughs> Um, never. I've never had a, you know, when I was young, I was a trumpet player <clears throat> and I really thought I, that's what I was going to do. I mean, I, I was mad about jazz and I learned the trumpet and played quite well. I mean, I was never going to be a star. I thought I was, but I, I wasn't that good. But, you know, when I was a kid, I had every album and I went to bed every night. The albums stuck up around my wall. You know, to begin with, it was traditional jazz trumpeters like Louis Armstrong or Big Spiderbeck and then modern jazz trumpeters like, you know, Chet, Chet Baker or Maynard Ferguson. And all these people were, they weren't heroes. They were the greatest trumpet players. I really revered their playing. But I don't think I was ever starstruck. And I came to meet a lot of them later. And I, I enjoyed I enjoyed not being starstruck. I, mean, I just found them quite ordinary. I mean, the fact they can do something fantastic which i couldn't do isn't a reason to be starstruck i mean you yeah. every day we you know you every day we all meet people who do things we can't do and yeah. and even if they're even if it's a taxi driver i mean i couldn't sit and drive a taxi all day i would never learn all the names or you know, where all those streets were i'd never have the patience i'd never be nice enough 
um, wouldn't get up early enough, work long enough hours. So I quite admire that, you know. You, you don't have to be a super trumpet player to be to be admirable. Uh, but admiring isn't the same as sort of fawning and thinking, oh, you know, I, I, this guy's amazing, I can't <laughs> talk. Um, I never had that. I don't know why I never ever had it. But perhaps that's why I got on well with stars. Because although one part of them loves being fawned over, the other part of them really hates it and, and, and longs to have normal relationships. Yeah. So I I never had that feeling. Yeah, I was thinking that because do you think the fact that you weren't very starstruck benefited you because if you weren't a big fan fawning over them, you wouldn't give them everything they want without thinking, well, maybe it's better to do it this way. You know, I don't know if it's helped or not helped. It's just how I am. <laughs> uh, but I think I'm, there are, I don't know any manager who is starstruck with their own star because, you know, stars, when you're managing them, are not easy people. Yeah. And you know, you know, you see, you, you put out your mind liking or disliking them. You don't even think about which it is. You have a job to do. I mean, if you go and see a doctor, you'd be horrified you think if the doctor was only give you good advice if he liked you and you had to go in and be awfully nice or he wouldn't give you <laughs> treatment. You, know? you presume that's not in his mind. You, you're there as a patient. And that's how you have to treat an artist. You're there to do this job for them. And at times when they annoy you, if they annoy you because they're not doing what they need to do, which is best for their career, you have to tell them. But if they're annoying you just because they're doing some personal little thing which is annoying, now you just forget that. That's, that's not your job to comment on. Which do you prefer, being a producer or a manager or indeed some of the other things you've done, like being an author? Do you know, what I enjoyed most always was producing. But after just one year of producing way back in the 60s, I realised that every top producer in the world spent his entire life sitting in a darkened recording studio. Yeah. And the more successful you are, the more difficult it is ever to get out of it. And, you know, I had friends who were producers and they hadn't had a holiday for six months. And they said, I booked two weeks, I'm going away. That's it. Last I got two weeks holiday. And then the week before they went, Mick Jagger or somebody would call up and say, hey, will you do work? I want to come and record with you next week. And pressure them into cancelling the holiday. And they just went on month after month sitting in this darkened room. And I thought, this, I could never do that. Yeah. I love to travel and be outside and see the sunshine. So although producing itself is something I very much like, and I enjoy film editing a lot too, but it's much the same thing. You just sit there in a cutting room or in front of a computer nowadays just editing. So although I enjoy it, it, it takes away from me something I feel I really need, which is a sort of freedom to be out and about. And here you are today. Is this the life you always dreamed of? No. <laughs> <laughs> I've never, never dreamt of any life. You know, I, oh gosh, are you getting deep now? Um, <laughs> when I was young, when I was young, I never had any ambition. And I was always worried, what am I going to do when I grow up? Everyone says, yeah. you've got to know, you've got to fix on something to do. Your aunties would say, you've got to plan what to do and study for it and head for it and just realize your dream. I said, oh, I just like dreaming my dreams. I don't want to actually do them. Yeah. That sounds like hard work. Um, and it worried me a lot that I didn't have this ambition. And I still haven't. I never have. But then I discovered artists who really had ambition. They really, really wanted to do one particular thing. And um, and so they tell me what it is they want. You know, I, I want to be a super stop, pop singer, star singer. You know, I say, well, have you thought of having singing lessons and maybe finding a good song and making a... Oh, I say, bloody hell, man. You're a genius. <laughs> you should be my manager. Oh, this is quite easy. You know, So I use their ambition. I couple my, if you like, quick-witted wittedness or common sense to their ambition. And then that together makes it work well. But without the artist's ambition, there's nothing. I, if an artist isn't ambitious, I can't make them a star. Yeah. It's their desire which drives the whole thing. And you've written several books about the music industry. What was it that motivated you to share your experience and insight? Oh, gosh. Uh, 
Well, very young, before I discovered artists, so I was still, still only 21, 22, and I'd been a musician, I'd given it up eventually, because I realized I wasn't going to be this great superstar jazz musician I hoped to be. And I didn't want it just to be, you know, somebody who played third trumpet in an orchestra and got a small amount of money. <laughs> so I gave it up and I, I went hitchhiking. I mean, that's all I didn't know what to do. And I used to stand by the road with my thumb out thinking, what the hell am I going to do with my life? And then I had this idea, I know I'll be a writer. Because if you're a writer, you don't have to do anything. Yeah. You just you just poodle around for 10 or 20 years till you've seen a bit of life, and then you can write about it. <laughs> and so I, having decided that, there was nothing I had to do. I could just do what I wanted, and I'd get experience, and one day I'd be a writer. And I'd sort of then put it on the back burner. And then I discovered pop management, and I'd be successful. And then when I got to about 35 or 40, I suddenly remembered, oh, I'm, I'm meant to be a writer. <laughs> And uh, and I suddenly thought, yeah, I really want to have a go at that. I want to do it. And I found I wrote well. That was simple as that. And it's nice finding something you do well. It's enjoyable. I'm not, not sure that writing is enjoyable, but having written is very enjoyable. And and when you read the books you've written, oh, this is really, really good. I'm, I'm surprised I can write that well. It, it's, it's nice. And so every year or two, I buckle down to write another book. Yes. Your books are, of course, about the music industry. Would you say the music industry has changed a lot since you were married? managing back in the day and if so how do you manage to keep up with it it's changed in the same way you know you say have cars changed yes they now use less petrol and they don't break down so easily and if it's cold weather they still start or you could say no there's still four wheels and you get inside and shut the things and they take you somewhere at about the same speed uh, so if you talk about the music industry as a, as a capitalist organization, which is a record company, which wants to make money out of music commercially, artists who have the desire really to be loved by an audience, because that's what drives them. It's not really the need to make music. It's to be loved by an audience. And how do they bring those two people together to benefit each other? And that hasn't changed one job. You have the artists, you have the, the corporations with money prepared to invest and you have an audience who like to see the artist live and will want to listen to what's recorded, whether it's streaming or records or anything else. So in many ways, you can say it hasn't changed one little bit. What's changed is the design, the, the streamlinedness of it, like, like a car. So now we have streaming instead of records, and uh, we can work with computers instead of live instruments. And more people can make very good records quite easily by using computers at home than they used to be able to when they had to book a studio, which is expensive. So many little things have change but the overall structure artist cooperation with money and recordings which you can buy or pay for and live work which you can go to and see the artist none of that's changed at all so all you have to do is just sort of vaguely keep up with how things run and if you don't know how they run just ask your nephew or your son or something because they yeah. Well, what's coming up for you, both for the Amsterdam Rock Exchange? Are there any more albums and singles and exciting things coming up? And for you yourself, any more books? There'll be another album. Yeah. Because because what we've all discovered, I mean, the last album is really extraordinarily good. I hope you're gonna I hope at the end of this you're gonna play at least one song for it. We've got a single <laughs> album single out from it at the moment called Kids, which is a remix oh, yeah. of one of the tracks. Really good. And uh but we, we all learned from doing it. And we were, none of us doing this were newcomers. I mean, um, my two Dutch co-writers, one is a, a guitarist who gave up the guitar a long time ago to become a businessman. Uh, and the other is a, a very established Dutch record producer. And there's me who's got some little background in music too. And so doing that album actually brought us together and also really made us look at how, how we work together to make things better. So we it went from being a bit of fun during lockdown to being something we, we found we're really good at. And so the next album is very much better than 
from the previous one, which is already very good. And some some of the songs on this next album that are quite strikingly good. We're very surprised by how what good work we're turning out. So that's fun. And another book, yes, I am already started on another book. I've just had one out, which you haven't mentioned. Oh, yeah. Came out last October, which is called Sour Mouth Sweet Bottom. Not so much about the music business as the previous <laughs> ones, more, more about my own life, but plenty of music business there, because that's what I've always done. Um, and some of the things I've told you this evening are in that book. And I'm doing a new one, and I've got two film projects. So another film, another book, um, another album. That's so exciting. And in the meantime, where are we able to find all the music for Amsterdam, Rock Exchange, and of course the book, Sour Mouth Sweet Bottom? Well, uh, like everything these days, this is really simple. Amazon for the book uh, and Spotify for the music. Well, many thanks for talking to us today. It's been great to have you on. Thank you. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. The Throbbing Pulse of Sound, the Toby Gribbon Show.